One way to kind of get over your fear is, um, I think, to remember whose job it is to save the sinner. Because I recall one of the um, one of the issues I think some people have when sharing our faith is we're afraid that we're going to mess people up, right? We're going to say the wrong thing. We're going to turn them off. We're going to blow it. They're going to walk away confused. And I think sometimes um, we can put unnecessary pressure on ourselves when it comes to evangelism. Does that make sense? And so I just have some <coughs> passages to read. We're just, I'm just going to assign these um, to whoever wants it. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Who wants to get that one? Ryan. Okay, Romans 8, 28 through 30. Who would like that? Okay. Oh, got Whitney. You can do John 6, 44. John 6, 44. And then uh, Acts 13, 48. Who wants that? Okay. All right. Ryan wanted to get uh, Ephesians one three three six. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us before Him, the foundation of the world. In just just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Okay, Romans 8, 28 to 30. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these who be justified, he also glorified. Okay, John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Okay, Acts 13, 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Yeah. I mean, so according to these passages, whose job is it to save the sinner? Yeah, it's God's job. Okay? And, and we can open this up for debate when we get to our theology section of this class. But I'm going to just take these passages at face value. You know, that ultimately, um, we can't change people's hearts. Okay? That'd be fair to say. That ultimately, it's the Lord who has to do a work. Now, look at this next passage and what's our job in evangelism. Okay? Romans uh, 10, 14 through 15. Somebody want to read that? Ryan, you want to do it again? Yeah. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent, just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things? Okay. So, what's your job in evangelism? To preach. To preach it, right? So, is it possible for someone to come to Christ without a preacher, according to that passage? Is it possible for someone to come to Christ without a preacher? What does the passage say? Or reply? No, right? Yeah, people cannot come to Christ unless the gospel is actually preached to them in some verbal form. Okay, so... That's how the Lord has chosen to work in evangelism, right? So an understanding of predestination doesn't mean that we just kind of stay quiet. Um, you know, he ordains the ends and the means, and the means is sharing the gospel. So why is it important to remember your job in evangelism and God's job in evangelism? What happens when you confuse the two? Yeah. Could be discouraging. Yeah, it could be discouraging, right? You guys ever had times when you just felt like you're just blowing it in evangelism, failing, doing something wrong, right? Yeah, I remember one time I I did some.
contact evangelism and I just had a terrible night. It seemed like nobody wanted to hear what I had to say. And I honestly, I think part of it was, um, you know, I was on the debate team and when I was in high school, I sold TVs to pay my way through seminary, you know, so I've always been somebody who, you know, wins the argument and closes the sale, right? That's always been like, that's kind of what I do. And I'm like, why is this not working? And um, like I was somehow failing. And I think part of my exasperation was I thought it was my job not only to preach the gospel, but to convert the sinner. Does that make sense? So that's kind of, that's one extreme, right? Because I was, I was trying to do both jobs. You know, what if somebody thinks that it's God's job to not only convert them, but to preach to them, right? How will that lead to ineffective evangelism? Yeah, you can just be really passive, right? If God's going to save them, God's going to save them. So, you know, he'll, he'll work it out. And there's no, um, you know, here I am, Lord, send me, right? So there's kind of a balance between the both. There's, there's your job and there's God's job, right? And, and that's what I always try to tell people is that the Lord has placed somebody in your life. That's not an accident, right? Of all the people who could have this conversation with you right now who's shown some spiritual interest, it's you of all people, right? So I think that should be, um, I think an understanding of the sovereignty of God and salvation, one, is that God can save anyone, right? There's nobody beyond his reach. And number two, um, every conversation, there's a sense of destiny there, right? So if I'm on an airplane with somebody and we start talking about spiritual things, there's a sense of destiny there where I am supposed to have this conversation and the Lord is going to work in this conversation. Does that make sense? So kind of the balance between the two. But on the other hand, if you hear that somebody's spiritually open, um, don't just assume that the Lord's going to deal with it apart from you, right? The fact that you know it is often a sign, right, that you're the person. You know, for such a time as this, you have been raised up, right, to quote Esther. Okay, any thoughts on that? I mean, why do people think that um, an understanding of predestination is poison to evangelism? Why is that kind of the popular? Because if God has already chosen his elect, then what is, I have no yeah. bearing on that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it is true um, that that often happens. But the right. elect still have to hear the gospel. But the elect still have to hear the gospel. Right. So I think when people uh, misunderstand predestination. Like during the uh, early missions movement, um, a guy named Andrew Fuller was the one who kind of supported um, William Carey. I almost said Jim Carey, but that would have been wrong. <laughs> the missionary William Carey. And one thing that he had to do was he had to push back on a lot of bad theology that said people are predestined to heaven and to hell. Therefore, there's really no point in sharing the gospel. And this is just a, you know, God's going to save him. He's going to save him. Right? So that's like one thing they had to push against. But I think there's other, you know, there's some, some of the greatest evangelists of all time, George Whitfield, Charles Spurgeon. I mean, their understanding that no one's beyond the reach of God's grace, I mean, gave them extra motivation to share their faith, right? They, they knew that it was God's job to save them. Our job is just to share the gospel. Does that make sense? But I, I, like, the, I like the idea of destiny, right? That we were destined to have this conversation. This is not an accident. And I, and I use that quite a bit when I talk to people. It's like, no, there's no accident here. God wants you to hear this message. This is of the Lord. What are you going to do with it? So hopefully that's encouraging. Um, yeah, and I think another passage too is um, 2 Corinthians 5, 2. Um, and that might be 520. I think I mislabeled that one. I think it's 520. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled with God. Right? Isn't that pretty interesting? We beg you. I mean, how did uh, Paul's understanding of predestination... I mean, I guess the better question would be, you know, did an understanding of predestination affect Paul's passion to persuade the lost? Right, so you look at this term persuasion. Like when you try to persuade people, what are you doing? 
wisdom to change? Yeah. He uses the term beg. I mean, what does the term beg imply? Yeah. Earnest. Uh huh. Desperate. Yeah, there's, he doesn't really want to take no for an answer, right? <laughs> so Paul doesn't just share the gospel and say, I've done my duty, right? <laughs> you know, he is engaged, he's persuading, he's begging. I mean, he's throwing the book at them, right? He wants to do any, everything he can to try to persuade them to do that. And so he doesn't have like this limited understanding, well, if they're going to be saved, the Lord will work it out. I share these Bible verses with them, and we'll just see what the Lord does. Right, there's an active engagement and a desire and drive to persuade people uh, to come to Christ. Okay, so that's one side. Uh, another element is to kind of change your view of the gospel's power. Um, so a realistic question. Think of a time you fell on your face spiritually, and then imagine that immediately afterwards you were presented with a perfect opportunity to share your faith. Could you have done so with complete confidence in God's help? Why or why not? What do you think? You just blew it spiritually. You know it. And then the next day you're sitting on a park bench and somebody says, hey, I noticed that you have a Bible you know, in your book bag. You know, I've, I've been really curious about it. What does that say about how I can go to heaven? But you just blew it. You just screamed at your kids. Maybe you and your spouse are having like extreme like tension. Um, maybe you have some private sin that you indulged in, you know, just recently. How much confidence would you have that you could share the gospel with power at that point? Honest answer. What do you think? All right, we're seeing a lot of not much, right? <laughs> so, what does that reflect about our understanding of the power of the gospel? Because that, that would be my instinct too, right? You know, I'm not the one for this, not not at this point. What are some assumptions that are built into that? I just assume that it's about you and your spiritual health, and that's what makes you a good presenter of the gospel. Yeah. Rather than like, I just fell on my face, this is why I'm here. Yeah. Yeah, there's some power in the messenger, right? And the fitness of the messenger. Other thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Have you dealt with it or not? Yeah, maybe I'm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think, and that is true. I mean, when you're out of step with the spirit, <laughs> right? It's uh, personally, you're not going to be enriched by it. Yeah, and that's where you want to repent right away and then deal with it. I mean, I guess that would be. And, and, and I would say we always want to be in step with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit and walking faithfully with the Lord at all times, right, and, and get back on the horse. But, um, you know, so, but I think instinctively our, our response is if we blow it, even if you repent, you still have some residual shame, and I'm not the one to share the gospel at this point, right? It's like somehow it will be less effective, right? So I think that would be kind of like that's one instinct that we have. Now let's say um, you're going to the state fair and uh, you see a guy dressed up as, as a judge and he's basically pointing to people, calling them sinners, but then he's also doing a really good job of, of actually sharing the gospel, even though it's kind of done in a, almost a fanatical way. Uh, what would you think about that kind of method of sharing the gospel? Yeah. And that would feel very cheesy. Yeah. So he's dressed up as a judge, right? So kind of seems judgmental. Right? So it seems that way. Yeah, what else? It may not be something I would recommend doing, by the way, but, but this is what you see. What else would you think? Okay. And so you go to the ultimate 
Okay. Yeah, so you might see that's theatrical. But let's say the gospel is being genuine, like you listen closely, and it is the real gospel. What do you think, Andy? I think it's a fool. You think it's a fool? I okay. think that it shares it in a fanatical way, I don't know, more about themselves than it is Christ. Yeah, could be. I don't know. Those people aren't easy to walk up to, most likely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the power is in the message. Yeah. That if he's presenting the right gospel, then the Holy Spirit can use that to speak to the people. Okay. Call. So. Okay. Well, let's say you're watching um, TBN. Don't recommend it. <laughs> and there is a a well-known faith healer who. Uh, recently has raised money for his own private jet because you know he just likes to speak in tongues when the spirit comes upon him and if he's in in coach he can't do that so he needs his own private jet <laughs> so he can have a special communion with the lord and so he's out there and he is um, and he is you know making a close at the end of his television show and he's inviting people to place their faith in Jesus Christ and if you listen carefully the gospel presentation is legit how do you, what do you think of that are they really doing it out of love for the other person or do they want to selfish yeah and the funny thing is actually my work because in back in Ukraine we kind of watched those preachers uh -huh. and yeah it works it but worked. we didn't know behind the scene yeah. the situation. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, Jesus used ignorant fishermen and yeah. who were just, they preached the gospel. So, yeah. I mean, if it's the message, the message is what has the power, not the messenger. Now, the messenger can be offensive, but the gospel can, I mean, yeah. can also be offensive. I don't know. Yeah, these are all kind of uncomfortable questions, yeah. aren't they? <laughs> right. well, it's hard so when you have somebody that's, you know, say they're preaching health, wealth, and prosperity, and then they close with, but if you believe in Jesus, you'll be saved. And they don't just say you believe in Jesus. This person actually says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. I mean, like, he kind of walks okay. you through it, and it's like, yeah, that's, that's the gospel. I mean, I've, I've read Benny Hinn's gospel presentation online, and it's pretty good. Honestly, right? Now, I think there's, there's issues where I think uh, a lot of times money-grubbing preachers use the real gospel because they want to please the faithful, right? And so if they were to deny the gospel, that would limit their reach, right? But it still is the gospel. So um, I want to read you a passage from Philippians 1, 15 through 18. This is Paul in prison. And uh, some people are kind of taking advantage of a sentence in prison. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. So what are the contrasting motivations for preaching the gospel in that passage? Well, for personal gain and for um, genuine concern for the listener. Okay. Envy and rivalry. Yeah. Why would a guy preach Christ out of envy and rivalry? Because you're trying to use, like, rivalry, you're trying to use the gospel to beat somebody in, into submission or... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, let's say you have a couple people who are competitive. Does anybody ever get competitive about ministry? <laughs> He's competitive, not about ministry. <laughs> <laughs> if, somebody, if somebody's competitive about ministry, what would their tendency be? What would their motivation be? Themselves. Themselves, right? Like seeking to further themselves. Yeah. The I want to have the biggest Bible study in the church. 
oh, Paul has this study. We'll look how much bigger mine is. Want to be the pastor? Yeah, I want to be the pastor. Um, pastors competing with each other, right? I mean, that stuff happens. And so here they are. It's like, well, I'm going to have a bigger and better ministry than Paul. Paul's in prison. You know, this is my chance to shine. And so he's preaching the gospel, right? So that's one set of motivation. What about the other motivation? Others preach that Christ out of? Yeah, love and goodwill, right? Paul can't do this, so I'm going to do it for him. I'm going to love my brother. So what's Paul's response to both of the preaching? Keep preaching. Yeah. Yeah, he rejoices that the gospel is being preached, right? It has to be the right gospel, though. Yeah, as long as there's a right gospel, yeah. And that's a big qualifier. We never rejoice in false gospels. But the right gospel is being preached. It's like, okay. It wasn't like with Apollos. He didn't quite know all the... Yeah. And they pulled him aside, and they were able to instruct him. Yeah, so they could preach the true one. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think if you kind of look at this at face value, they're both preaching the gospel. Paul rejoices that in spite of their motivation, um, yeah, he can still rejoice that the genuine gospel is being preached. So, does that mean that your behavior does not matter? Well, um, Titus 2, 9 through 10, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything, They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of of God our Savior. So to what extent does our behavior matter? How does our behavior affect the gospel? You say they back it up, right? They adorn it. Mm-hmm. They're not its essence, right? Yeah. But they can make it look better yeah. and more attractive. And so, um, now, I don't say this to say that go ahead and sin away as long as you're sharing the gospel, right? I think a couple of things to keep in mind. Number one, if you're sharing the gospel out of bad motivations, um, when we give an account before the Lord at the Bema Seat Judgment, um, some of that work that we do will burn up. Right. Two, you want to adorn the gospel with a righteous and holy life, right? But three, uh, if you're to do a, an argument from the lesser to the greater, right? If God can use a gospel presentation done by people who are motivated by selfish gain and conceit, if you can use that gospel presentation, right? He can use yours if you fall on your face spiritually. Does that make sense? The, the messenger um, is not as powerful as the message, right? The message is always more powerful than the messenger. Does that make sense? So as long as the gospel is being preached, we can rejoice in any form. Even if you fall on your face spiritually, even if you're having a bad day, even if you don't feel like you're the person at this moment to share the gospel, as long as you're sharing the gospel, the Lord can use it. Right? So, I mean, how will that help somebody get over their fear of evangelism? Yeah, you don't have to be perfect to share the gospel. So be, be aware of missional perfectionism, right? If I can't do it perfectly, I, I shouldn't do it at all, right? That's, that is not what the scripture teaches. So you can use an imperfect gospel presentation. And, you know, and it could be that, yeah, maybe you weren't at your best. Maybe you were competitive. Maybe it might burn up before the judgment seat of the Christ. But, but ultimately, you just kind of have to, I mean, if we're sharing the gospel, that, that Christ forgives sinners, right? And we think that we have to be sin-free to share this gospel of Christ forgiving sinners. We're kind of um, underestimating his power, right? You know, he can set us right. He can put us in that right position. And even if we are not perfect, well, we're just another demonstration of the need of the grace of God. Okay, any questions about that? And again, I'm not condoning faith healers and stuff like that. All I'm saying is they can still preach the gospel even if they don't get any credit for it, right? 
All right, so now that hopefully fear of evangelism has been uh, adequately addressed, I want to kind of spend the final you know, section of this class getting into how do you turn a conversation to Christ, right? I think if, if I were to just get a conversation started and say, you know, Will, can you take over for me and just finish sharing the gospel? I think you could do that, right? I think most of you guys can do that. I think what people uh, are more concerned about is um, how do I get that conversation started to begin with? And I will admit, I think in the day and age where people are just always on their phone, this is way more difficult than it used to be. Does that make sense? It used to be you'd sit on an airplane, people were bored and they would just talk to you to pass the time. Now when they're bored, they just put in the earphones and stare. So it's a little bit more difficult, but it's not impossible. Yeah. Do you have a Bible out there? What? Oh, I can't hear you. What? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So here's some uh, here's some ideas. Number one, learn to be openly spiritual. Hopefully people won't be surprised to hear you talk about God. So it might be kind of weird. You might come across as kooky, but they just know that that's who you really are. Uh, Be well informed about the world. This helps you get into and maintain a conversation. You know, so understanding yeah, I think being able to talk about what some non-believers talk about, but the overlapping area should be somewhat holy. Like I, when I was uh, at KU, the men would talk about women, partying, and Jayhawk basketball. So there was one topic of conversation I can have that was safe, right? But just getting into a conversation, and I've kind of noticed that sometimes I, I do like sports, and I'm not trying to make excuses or justify it, but it gives me like an easy topic of conversation. You know, anybody could talk to me about that and you know, feel like they could connect with me at some level. Does that make sense? So even just learning how to just talk to people, having the gift of gab, being able to kind of communicate, talk about their kids, take an interest in their life, a lot of that is just really good setup uh, for the future. Uh, learn the art of deep conversation. You try to get below the surface. Um, like let's say you're talking to your... Uh, another set of parents at the soccer game, you know, so how many kids do you have? Um, you know, so what, what do you really want for your kids? What are some of your goals uh, for their life? I mean, how do you know you've succeeded as a parent, right? Just asking questions to kind of get them thinking, right? Why? How? Uh, learn to transition from common interests to values to attitudes to personal beliefs. And I'm going to keep on picking on parenting because, I mean, parenting, I mean, the reason why people are so sensitive about parenting is it reflects a lot of their personal beliefs. So you can even say, so what do you think are the greatest dangers facing kids these days? Um, what are some of the things that you're trying to do to protect your kids from that? You know, how do you, you know, who are some people who kind of shaped how you parent? Right, you kind of ask a lot of those questions and you're, you're in a pretty deep conversation that's pretty easy to kind of jump towards um, the gospel because... As you're getting them to think, um, they might turn around and think, you know, that's a good question. What are your values? You know, what drives you to parent? Um, choose your moments wisely. Sometimes are more conducive than others. Um, I think sometimes you can create your moment. Uh, like one thing I did when my uh, kids were in sports, I did this one time. I asked the the coach if I could take him out to dinner or take him out to lunch sometime to just kind of show my appreciation for you know his for coaching my daughter and so we went out and I ended up um, you know just asking him about his life asking him about his values having these deep conversations but I kind of I kind of created my moment does that make sense um, watch your body language when you're you know learning how to be a good listener we'll talk more about that later do not be surprised when non-christians act like non-christians All right try to be unshockable Try not to be scandalized. Uh, don't confuse talking about spiritual things with articulating the gospel itself. Like you can have a long discussion about why you don't believe in evolution, uh, but that's not the gospel. Okay? That's not the gospel. And seek to become a good listener. And so I think becoming a good listener, and, and uh, I think it kind of begins with everybody's favorite topic of conversation is what? Me. Me. I, I love talking about me. So if you can get a good, do a good job of getting people to talk about themselves, that's a way of building a pretty easy bridge. So here are some good list. Here's the, the poor listener, and I need to review this myself. Uh, assumes the subject is uninteresting. Focuses on the person's manner of expression. 
becomes overstimulated, makes snap judgments, listens only for facts, tries to outline the information to debate, you know, you're trying to like reshape what they're trying to say, fakes attention to the person. It's kind of like that scene from Inside Out where the, the, guy, the dad is thinking about the hockey game. <laughs> right, you know, Josh Wright guilty as Josh in there, right? It's distracted by surroundings. That's why when I go to like a bar and grill or whatever, I have to face away from the TVs. The temptation is just too great for me. <laughs> Evades grappling with difficult information. Like you're talking to a guy and he says, yeah, sometimes I wonder if I'm a woman or not. And, and you're going, oh, that's interesting. And they just keep on going. <laughs> Satisfied with only hearing what is first said. So they kind of throw something out and they're formulating your response until they cough or sneeze or, or laugh so that you can interject your part. Um, lets emotional words or situations block information flow. Like you get pretty easily offended or scandalized. Thinks about own response to what's being said. Right, so that's a poor listener. Um, a good listener finds something interesting in what is said and asks questions. Uh, finds the message is always more important than grammar, sentence structure, or wording. Mm. Listens rationally, evaluates, but suspends judgment. Um, listens for feelings too. Notes patterns, traits, principles, and basic ideas. Shows disciplined attention through brief comments and reactions. Concentrates by focusing eyes and mind welcomes expression of difficult ideas or problems, probes for the idea, assumption, problem behind the surface words, maintains emotional control and is unshockable, and thinks about what is being said. Okay, so it's uh, being a good listener is a way of kind of loving other people. It kind of takes a determined effort, especially if the other person is boring. Sorry, I said that, but isn't that true? Like. If you're talking to a guy, let's say an astronaut, it's easy to be a good listener. <laughs> if you're talking to somebody who works for the Secret Service, it's easy to be a good listener, right? And tell me, what are these people really, you know what I'm saying? It's easy to be a good listener. But when somebody just has somewhat of an uninteresting life, in your opinion, uh, you have to work harder at doing it. It's a way of actually showing love to the person. So as you're listening, um, now, here's some questions to just kind of turn the conversation. Do you ever think about spiritual things? I actually find that that's like the easiest one. Do you ever think about spiritual things? Has that ever been a part of your life? Um, do you believe in God? Uh, in your opinion, what's God like? Uh, how has your view of God changed over your life? Where do you get your information about God from? What do you think about Jesus Christ? What do you... How would you define Christianity? How does one go uh, to heaven? You say, you know, it seems to me that you have a lot of mistaken perceptions of the biblical, the biblical Christianity. Uh, would you mind if we just take a few minutes to explain what the Bible says about a true Christian? Um, next approach could just be, um, you know, what do you do for a living? What do you do for fun? Do you play sports? Do your kids play sports? And you can ask them, do you ever go to church, right? As you're kind of asking about their life. Do you still attend? If they say yes, I think you can ask, um, you know, so how, how committed are you to your church? I found that that's kind of a good insight. Well, not really. Well, why is that? Well, a couple of years ago I had a bad experience or ever since they've done that. And, um, but you could get them talking about the church if they stopped attending to say, well, why did you stop attending? Right, what caused the change? Have you had a bad experience with Christianity? And then the transition in that case is, you know, it seems to me that, um, you know, some Christians have misrepresented the faith in the past. You mind if I just take a moment and just tell you what the Bible says about the gospel? You know, if you've been listening for like a half hour, common courtesy is like, uh, of course, right? You know, some other ones, um, you know, what's your understanding of Christianity if someone uh, were to ask how to become a Christian and they did not want to read a book or talk to a minister or a priest, what would you say to them? Um, it sounds to me like you're a really principled person. Where do you get your principles from? You know, do you think you're a good person? Right? Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever stolen anything? You know, and that's kind of a... And it, all of these are just different tactics for different people, right? Um, but this is kind of the way of the master that Ray Comfort and... Uh, um, 
Kirk Cameron came up with. And you know, what they would ask is, are you a good person? You know, have you ever told a lie? Yeah, well, if you told a lie, what does that make you? A, liar. Have you ever stolen anything? You something small? Yeah, what would that make you? A, a thief? And then they'd quote um, Matthew chapter 5. You've heard it said that if you know, you're angry with a brother, you committed murder in your heart, that's a paraphrase. So have you ever been angry with someone? According to God's word, what does that make you? A murderer. So by your own admission, you're a lying, thieving murderer. Do you still think you're a good person? <laughs> and if you're to stand before God, would you find you innocent or, or guilty? Right? And then from there, they kind of share the gospel. And so that's, uh, I mean, that's been pretty effective for, for some people. Um, but I think, um, you know, again, just building a spiritual relationship. Um, I think another tactic, if somebody kind of confides, you know, my mother's really kind of struggling with cancer right now. Um, and you hear that, say, you know what? Um, what's her name? Gladys? Okay. I'm going to pray for your mother, Gladys. And then a week later, hey, I've been praying for Gladys. What's, how's she doing? Any word on the doctor? She can kind of ask those questions. And then say, I know this is really hard for you, so I've been praying for you and your spiritual and your spiritual walk during this time. You know, how's that going for you? Do you see how easy that is? So it's a way of kind of just showing love and concern, just seeing what happens. You know, another one, if you're to do, let's say, contact evangelism. I've done surveys before. Um, yeah, this is how I was trained when I did Campus Crusade. You kind of walk up to people and just say, my name's Dave, I'm doing a project for my Sunday school class. Or, you know, I'm just around here asking questions about um, kind of gauge people's spiritual uh, makeup here. And I've often found that when I get like a group of, of kids hanging out, uh, I can get one to kind of chime in and say, yeah, I'll agree to do it. And then all of them just start participating. It becomes a nice little on the street group project. So like who is God and what is he like? Kind of write that down. How do you know um, what you believe is true or what do you base your belief on? Uh, what is sin? Do you consider yourself to be a sinner? Do you think God will punish you for your sin? Right? And then who is Jesus Christ? How certain are you that you're going to heaven on a scale of zero to 100%? What reason would you give uh, give God to let you into heaven? And if you were to, if I could tell you how to be 100% sure that you'll go to heaven when you die, would you be interested? Right? So that's it's more formal, um, but that is a way to do contact evangelism. So. Any thoughts on these so far? Do you guys have other things that you guys do to try to get conversations going? What about you, Ryan? I know you do. You often. Yeah, if someone... Uh, I have a habit of struggle drinking in the past, mm -hmm. so if someone asks me if I want to have a beer or if I want to buy a beer, I think usually turn it to buy it. Yeah. Yeah, and people want to yeah. hear that story, right? Yeah, I know I'm a pastor, so I feel like I'm cheating quite a bit. Like, I always do the, what do you do for a living? <laughs> <laughs> they ask me, what do I do for a living? So I'm a pastor. Oh. And um, <laughs> <laughs> they say, uh-oh. <laughs> so it's easy for me to talk about, you know, church ever apart or background. Um, I think another thing that, often fascinating to people is I just tell them, you know, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I actually became a Christian in college. I'm like, really? Because there's always this assumption that if you grow up Christian, you're a Christian. And so I say, yeah, in college I, I converted. And then I just share my testimony on the spot. Mm -hmm. right, so I think testimonies are a very easy way of sharing the gospel. And some of you think, well, I have a lame testimony. I became a Christian at a young age. Well, have you ever gone through a very difficult time as a Christian or difficult season, you know, have the Lord minister to you. Um, if you suffer some loss or some trial or a broken relationship, uh, finding somebody who kind of had that same struggle and then just saying, this is how the Lord ministered to me in that time. And, and doing it very compassionately, not with the promise that God's going to fix all your problems, but this is how the Lord ministered to me. Other thoughts? Yeah. 
Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, people, I mean, even though all the surveys say that the nuns are increasing, what they're finding is that it's not that people are not believing in God. It's not like atheism is taking off. It's just they're no longer affiliated with an official church. So they still think about spiritual things. And so I think that's why being a good listener and just kind of listening to where they come from. And you know what's interesting is as they kind of say it out loud, they may have never expressed that to anybody before. And when they say it out loud, it's almost like, yeah, there's all kinds of holes in this argument. <laughs> yeah, this really doesn't make sense. And they are kind of making it up as they go along, right? But that's a chance to kind of speak some truth to them and, and just kind of see where it goes. Also, you know, why do you say it now? Know where you're at. Like, mm -hmm. because I understand why you say those things. And a lot of my time, mm -hmm. I don't know where it left me in to where mm -hmm. a lot of people know, like, where to engage them spiritually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, young mothers are some of the most teachable people on the planet. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They are, because, like, I, I have this little human, and this is more than babysitting. I mean, I don't even, what am I going to do, <laughs> right? There's a lot of desperation, yeah. whether it's just physical, for friendship, for forming a child in the right way. Yeah. And it's very difficult when you're holding your new baby to believe in atheism, mm -hmm. right? I mean, to know that that was a single cell with a unique DNA code that sent all these signals to build, you know, the nervous system, the heart, the lungs, the eyeballs, all that stuff. It's like, I mean, that is unbelievable, right? That's a humbling thing too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then you're humbled. You feel. Yeah. It's a complete yeah. completely whole lot to go on and have a baby. Yeah. <laughs> and we're not, and again, we're not shaming people who can't get pregnant, but it's just a reality that there's a special desperation to that. So I've often found that that's often, like, when Christians stray or whatever, that's almost the time when they kind of, like, reconsider. Mm -hmm. They kind of leave behind their wild ways. They realize that we need to be more stable as a family, and often they're very open to coming back to church or starting to attend church at that time. So just an observation that I've made, right? So that's, I'm glad you brought that up. Other uh, people, I mean, you've been working with freshmen, Andy. How's that been going so far? Oh, it's been good. I, it seems like, yeah, when we're when you're in college, you think you're the top of the chain. So yeah. it's pretty easy to get them to talk about themselves. And so that's usually where I start. Yeah, so what do you usually start doing? Like you. You guys had the tailgate party, and yeah. So I, I ask a lot of guys if they go to church in town, and like I talk with other Catholic guys, and they just shut down pretty quick. Oh no, I'm Catholic. Mm -hmm. they're, they're That's a standard Catholic response. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I was like, all right, cool. You can still come to church. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know. I just try to kind of see where they're at spiritually. I yeah. ask them the spiritual journey question. That, that that's a great question to ask them because then that mm -hmm. lets them kind of talk about what they understand and believe because usually. Yeah. Well, and normally, like, they say they're Catholic, but really their parents are Catholic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so they, like, when you're a college student, mm -hmm. kind of in the same way, like, you're just forming who you really are. Yeah. And making your own decisions outside of them. And so, like, oh, you're Catholic? Oh, really? Like, is that how you always grew up? Well, yeah, my mom and dad growing up, and so on. But, you know, like, mm -hmm. and so, like, guys in the end are realizing, like, actually, they yeah. weren't a part of that. Mm -hmm. This is just something that was, like, they were taught and put in them in another way. And so mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of opening and like, oh, I'm an adult now. Yeah. I can make my own decisions. It's like, yeah, you should come to church. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's, and it'd be good to ask, so, so why are you Catholic? Yeah. You know, now have you transitioned from your parents' faith to your to your personal faith? Do you believe in Catholic doctrine? So initially it's, it's important to get past the nervousness or, you know, whatever it is of, they're gonna try to dodge the first couple questions you ask them. Like 
ask him what church he went to, and he said, oh, I'm Catholic. Like, he was just, oh, I don't want to come talk about that. Like, I'm, I'm already going to church. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he's just going there. Mm-hmm. And so, like, just being the, like, push past, like, okay, they shut me down. Like, ask another intentional question about them. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I don't know, it's important to keep asking intentional questions to try to get to the, the heart of what they believe. Yeah. I use my kids. Um, their friends, you know, <laughs> I do, I do. When they have friends that they're getting close with at school, you know, mm-hmm. and like, oh, let's have them come over and we'll talk and then um, invite them to a Christian mm-hmm. club. And, yeah. And even if I'm not, you know, getting the parents to open up, a lot of yeah. times they'll be like, yeah, I don't want to spend three hours without my kids, and so I'll, I'm happy to take them and take them home. And yeah. And then I ask them, you know, later, I ask the parents, so how are they doing? You know, have, have they talked to you about anything? What have they mm-hmm. talked to you about? What are their birthdays that they're learning? Yeah. And it's, it is mm-hmm. a way to open up because their kids are having fun. They're getting out of their parent care for a few hours. They enjoy yeah. that. And the kids are learning it. Mm-hmm. And they're telling their parents about it. And I'm able to follow up with that, too. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, what, I, what I did was I, uh, I would um, coach soccer during the spring and during the last soccer game and I kind of found that when I'm a parent on the sideline it's easier to share my faith when you're coaching you kind of have to coach Um, but during the last game I just say hey after this last game we're all going to go to Brahms junior cones right (laughs) (laughs) junior cones not a moron (laughs) not going to Freddy's we're going to Brahms (laughs) and uh, you know I'll treat you guys all the kids for ice cream and so they'd all come and then I'd kind of go around and I would invite all the families to VBS. And I've had a bunch of takers. And so I think sometimes you kind of love on the kids well. Mm-hmm. Parents are happy to let the kids go. And uh, so even that can open the door. Yeah. The children are often a good pathway because if you love people's children, they'll love you more. Like if somebody's mean to my children, I don't like them. They're on my naughty list. But if you're nice to my children, I you've got promise. Right. That's the way it is. Uh-huh. What if um, it was like during the year that your kids were with, like with friends, like people that you've been friends with for a long time, mm-hmm. or that you were former friends with them, but find a way to like I have a really bad case of disunity, so you decide I'm going to just completely embrace it first, mm-hmm. and then like I, I like go down that road later. What ha- what does that look like to be intentional? share the gospel with those friends when you also don't want to take away that that friendship because of the offense that they've had in the past yeah. um, with the gospel. Yeah, and you never know, like, sometimes when people are offended by the gospel, it's really on them, not the other person. Yeah. Um, but there's, if I'm going to be friends with somebody, I mean, there's, and we're really going to be friends, if me being a Christian is like this off-limits top, off-limit topic, mm-hmm. then, I mean, the friendship can only go so far. Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? So if they really want to be friends with me, then it would be wrong for them to discriminate that and say, I can't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I think one of the big things is never, never apologize for being a Christian and never tone it down. Mm-hmm. And if they still want to be friends, I mean, you're the aroma of life <laughs> to those who are being saved, but the smell of death to those who are being condemned. And I think that's just, sometimes it's just too much for them. Mm-hmm. But I mean, sometimes uh, finding neutral topics, like I got to know some of my neighbors by having their kids play at our house. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would see movies with some of the guys, like we'd see the Marvel movies together because our wives had no interest in that. So <laughs> that's what we would do. Um, and I think just being a good neighbor you know, yeah, we'll go ahead and watch your dog for you and do all this stuff. Do you need us to check on the mail, check on the house? So there, there's a lot of things you can do, kind of have like maybe a surface level friendship. And yeah. and sometimes it takes a couple of years before you get there. But I remember I have one friend who, um, he was almost relieved after I shared the gospel with him because we got that over with. <laughs> and we're still friends. <laughs> all right, well, that's where you are. <clears throat> yeah, another thing uh, we have, in it, I wrote an investigative Bible study a number of years ago. And, uh, you know, it's a pretty good tool if you ever meet with somebody who is just maybe new, truly curious. Has anybody, you guys went through it, right? 
Philip and Tiffany. Yeah, so it's just eight lessons, and um, you just say, hey, would you be interested in doing a Bible study mm-hmm. with me sometime? And yeah, I'd be interested in that. And and I think for some people who, um, you know, maybe they think they're a Christian, but they haven't put all the pieces together, or they're curious or really kind of drawn to this, uh, they kind of show up at church. I mean, if we ever tell people um, who want to join our church, you know, um, you probably need to get a few things clarified first. So we're going to have somebody sit down and do an investigative Bible study with you. And after eight lessons, you know, they kind of put all the pieces together. So that's been a really helpful. Tara, you've, you've went through that with somebody and it's been, but the big thing is they're, they're committed, they're willing to learn. But in a post-Christian culture where people don't really have these categories, like being able to like share a 10 minute gospel tract with somebody and having somebody nail it, you know, really get it the first time, it could happen, but they usually have to have like, yeah, they, they grew up in the South and been exposed to Christianity and they just need one thing clarified, mm-hmm. right? Where sometimes they just have, you just have to start from scratch. Like, what is the Bible? Who is God? You know, what is sin? Why does God have to punish sin? And kind of slowly work through it. So that's been another thing that's pretty helpful. And if you ever want a copy of that, we're gonna, I think I'm gonna figure out a way to put it online so people can just download it whenever they want. So, yeah, we need to get a specially designed cover for it too. So I don't know who could do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, we'll talk. <laughs> yeah, but that's something like for um, like we're doing a big uh, the theme for Ironman is men on a mission, and so um, I've been just talking to a lot of pastors about you know how do you share the gospel, but I think the longer view is kind of more important now than before just because people don't even have a grid for a lot of these issues. So if you find somebody who is truly spiritually curious, it's just say, hey, let's get together every week and we'll just kind of go through this Bible study together. That'd be great. And if somebody's willing to do that, it's, yeah, that's pretty promising. That's really promising. Okay, any other thoughts? All right, so next week we're gonna start how to study the Bible. Let me pray and then I'll let you guys go. Well, Father, I do thank you for, um, you know, the willingness and the hearts of these brothers and sisters here to share the gospel. And I pray that you'll give us some opportunities this week um, to make your name known, that you will put non-Christians in our path who are curious and want to know, and that you'll give us the courage to follow through, open our mouths, and to allow your gospel to do its good work. pray this in Christ's name. Amen.